I think the biggest advice is just get started. Make sure you surround yourself with a good network of people. There's so many great Facebook groups that there's so many great meetups. Like you guys have an amazing meetup every single month. You're listening to the right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at the right And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation, we're back for another podcast. It's Alfonso Slemmy here with Sarah Larby. And today you're in for an awesome treat. We just uh, recorded an amazing podcast with Corey McKinnon. Wealth of knowledge, really, really great interview. Sarah, what were some of your takeaways from uh, from the, uh, the interview? I mean, there were so many. I think the biggest piece is just going to the city and applying for a zone change and the whole process from when he was talking about his church conversion that he's working on. I mean, that is pretty fascinating. And you know, the other really cool thing is all the little tidbits of, of information. Like I didn't know that, that, that tube on the road was used to measure traffic and traffic flow. Anyways, there's tons of great tips in this podcast. I mean, Corey has tons of experience, tons of knowledge. He is like an investor that is doing it day in and day out full time and uh, quit his day job working back in the day he was, I think he was saying HR and then he was a VP for uh, student painting anyways. So he's, he's just amazing. And on top of that, he's got four kids. Yeah, that's a busy, <laughs> busy life. And you know what, the, what I really like too was the diversity of different strategies that he has done and is currently doing, right? Like the furnished rentals, right? Still has some multi type buildings as well too. So really, really cool on the diversity of the type of strategies that he's worked on and really embodies what the right club is all about is that he knows how to do all this. He's converting a church as we speak and doesn't know how to do this, but he is going out there and seeking and acquiring the knowledge and, you know, bringing it in and saying, okay, what's going to work? What's not? And let's try not letting things stop him from making decisions, but being informed and making that right decision to actually take that step whatever that comfort level is. If you're waiting to be 100% comfortable on making any decision in real estate or maybe life for that matter, like keep waiting. It's never going to happen. You'll never feel 100%. You got to take that leap at some point where you gain that other encouragement when you actually do it. So he's a great, great example of what we want to encourage in the right club of growing, you know, the portfolio, growing your network of people and definitely the knowledge of, of by doing all these things. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this and you haven't come out to our club yet, come out, send us an email, sarah at the right club.com or alfonso at the right club.com. Let us know that you have not attended yet and your first ticket is complimentary. Also, if you go to the right club.com, you can see our calendar with all our different events. And soon we are launching online. So we're going to have a whole community. So coast to coast across Canada, you guys are going to be able to connect with each other, find deals, find JV partners. Like there's going to be tons of great content. So definitely stay tuned for that. It's super exciting. And guys, if you think that we deserve it and you wouldn't mind just taking the two minutes to rate and review the podcast, that would also be so appreciated. We'd, uh, we really enjoy that. And it just helps us keep bringing this information and the knowledge to other listeners so that they can find it a lot more easily. So on that note, what do you think, Alfonso? Shall we uh, start the podcast episode? Yes. Super pumped. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, and welcome to the podcast, Corey McKinnon. Such a pleasure to have you on today with, uh, with Sarah and I. Hey, everybody. How's it going today? Awesome. Awesome. So 
we uh, we've crossed paths many many times at different events and networking events, and I, I was hoping that you could let the listeners know the Right Club Nations know when and how you got started in real estate, and then just walk us through a little bit of your journey since then. Sure, I guess I'm one of these older cats. You know, I got started uh, about 15 years ago, and I was a millennial. I guess when I when I started, I was in my 20s. Originally, I was looking for a house. I had a good good career, making good income. And you know, I didn't realize by not paying a, a credit card payment within two months, it, it put a scratch on my credit record. So literally, I sat in the penalty box for probably three years before I actually bought my first property. And back then, some of the knowledge and the wisdom that is so easily obtainable, even on places like this podcast, wasn't, uh, wasn't even a thing. So just read books and, and learned and talked to people and then uh, bought my first sixplex. So my my first purchase was a sixplex back when you had to put 25% down and learning how to be creative with your down payments and all that kind of stuff or joint ventures wasn't, uh, wasn't part of my wheelhouse back then. So um, that's how, that's how I got started. You know, I guess my dad had some rental properties when I was younger and I, I actually grew up in a, in a duplex. Like we had, uh, we rented the attic of our, our house set when I was in grade, you know, I guess my earliest recollection was like grade one or kindergarten, but there was this little old lady that lived upstairs and she was only paying like $35 a month back then. And um, I still drive by the house almost every day, so it's pretty pretty interesting. I guess I was exposed to it at a young age, and I didn't get involved till I was in my uh, didn't buy my first property until I was actually thirty. Wow, that's cool. So you were like you and your family were house hacking before it was even house hacking, right? <laughs> I guess right. I mean, it was you know back then. I, I think my dad just you know we needed a house, and uh, we we were getting uh, the family was expanding. So there was four kids when I was growing up. And they're just like, yeah, this is pretty much have 80% of the house. And there's this tiny little, you know, attic room. Like it was probably like a bachelor pad up there. This, this lady, she, uh, it's, it was part of, it was literally grandfathered into the deal that she stays there until she passes away. So you can't evict her, can't do anything. I think it was actually attached to the title of the property. So, um, cool. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the sixplex. Where, where was that sixplex? And did you manage it yourself? And talk a little bit about some of the experiences that you had with your first project right out of the gate as like a multi-unit building, right? Yeah, great question. So I, I was actually renting in that sixplex. So I remember I signed my lease on the day of 9-11. And uh, I just remember being in my landlord's house and we were looking at the TV and we just saw, you know, you know we just came up against the anniversary of that uh, recently. And we just looked at each other and we said, wow, like the world's never going to be the same again. And it hasn't um, in regards to security and air travel and everything. But so I rented there for three to four years and I was kind of like his uh, boots on the ground. You know, like he had probably 20 properties, 50 apartments. And he just said, hey, do you mind if I actually lean on you a little bit if there's ever uh, something that needs to be painted or something that needs to be cleaned up? Or if I just need you to just go take a peek at something, can you be my boots on the ground? I said, sure, because I want to learn. And we used to go out for breakfast here and there, and he would kind of teach me some of the basics of what he was looking for. Because somebody gave him a chance when he was 19. They, they gave him a, uh, they held the mortgage on a property for him. So I was learning from him. And then this place came up on the market, and he basically overpriced it by 10 or 15%. It didn't sell. He came back to me and said, look, I know you've been interested in buying a property. Are you still interested in this one? I said, for sure I am. I know the building. I've been kind of mentoring a little bit under you for the past three, four years yes, I want to buy the property, right? So, you know, he basically took care of everything to that property that kept falling apart on inspection because it had an asbestos tile roof. It still had some knob and tube wiring. It still had some galvanized plumbing. And if the, if the listeners don't know what those things are, those are typically big red flags for insurance companies because they could have issues, right? The roof could leak, the piping could crack and cause water damage, and the 
that type of wiring is not grounded. It's not as safe, right? So he took care of all those things. We got a credit on closing and we got into the first property. So it was very exciting. My background was uh, in HR. So I was very used to managing people and projects anyways. So for me to inherit these tenants that I already knew anyways, because I was living at the property, it was probably the, the easiest segue into buying a, uh, a bigger building that you could ask for. So so you, you went big on your first one. Now this is in Sarnia? Oh, sorry. That, that first one was in London, Ontario. So I started off investing in London. And then I've, since then, I've done a lot of business in Sarnia. And I've also done some deals in Windsor and some other cities around the province too. That's pretty good. So, so a sixplex on your first go round. Now, did you get conventional financing for that? How did that all work out? And then how did the insurance piece work out? Conventional financing. So just went with, I think it was with BMO. And I think I even got like a 1% cash back incentive at the time, which was kind of cool. And insurance worked out fine because all those renovations were done before we closed. So they looked at it as like, hey, this is a, this is a great property. This, there's no uh, red flags by any means. And we just started rolling with it. So Amazing. Okay, so, so that was uh, back in 2011. So what does your portfolio look like today? What is your strategy today? You know, let's fast forward to, to these days. What are you working on? Sure. So since then, we've accumulated uh, over 20 other properties and we have, uh, and I literally need to keep a spreadsheet to keep track of how many doors. We're over 60 doors right now. Uh, we're getting into bigger projects. So we're selling off some of our smaller, you know, single family homes, duplexes, and we're wanting to get into bigger projects. Like right now, we, uh, a year ago, we purchased a 1,200, sorry, 12,000 square foot church in Sarnia, Ontario. We're going to be converting that to 29 to 32 apartment buildings, which is really exciting. We've chosen the contractor. We're getting into the permit stage there. I've got some raw land that I'm looking to develop as well in a few different areas. And yeah, we're just looking to get into bigger deals. We're also getting more into short-term rentals, like short-term furnished rentals, Airbnb, that sort of thing. We've got eight, eight apartments now that are short-term and furnished, and we're looking to add another three in the next two months here. So it's a great hack. You know, I mean, when you guys know as well, you guys do short-term rentals. You can just really expect exponentially set a different trajectory when you when you have those furnished rentals because you're just bringing in so much more rent yeah that's awesome and i love the variety of like it seems like it's you know here's a different project here's like this church that we're going to convert we have furnished rentals it's not your conventional stuff but you kind of take those challenges on and basically adapt it to to how it works for you right i'm sure even with those furnished rentals now up to eight right after that you've learned a couple on the first one or two or three and then you try to optimize, right? And say, okay, well, this is kind of like a business, right? So maybe exactly. for our listeners, how do, how do they get over that barrier? How do they get over that step to say, oh, I've never done a furnished renter. I've never done an Airbnb. I've never done a sixplex. What kind of gave you the, the courage or, or, you know, the encouragement to kind of go ahead with that? Well, I guess I've, I've just been used to making change and just jumping in with two feet ever since I was young, right? I mean, I, I was an entrepreneur. My first entrepreneurial venture was a paper route in grade Five, like grade five, six, seven, eight. And then I was an entrepreneur at the age of 19. So I ran painting franchises for a couple of years and I was on the uh, senior management team, eventually was the uh, vice president of Canada for student works painting. So I guess I'm just always used to taking on challenges. I used to be a national level athlete. And even when I was finished being a national level athlete, I just continue to take on challenges. I've done 24 hour endurance events. I've done all kinds of different things like that. So I think the biggest advice is just get started. Make sure you surround yourself with a good network of people. There's so many great Facebook groups that there's so many great meetups. Like you guys have an amazing meetup every single month where if somebody's going to fail at real estate, you really have to look in the mirror and just go, 
that's my fault because I didn't really ask for help. I didn't surround myself with the right people. I didn't get into the right rooms. The access to the information is so much easier than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. People just got to be a little bit humble once in a while and not be afraid to say, hey, I don't have this all figured out. Can somebody just, you know, grab a call with me? Can we get a few things answered so I, I know more than nuts and bolts on how to do something, right? The concepts are easy, but then getting right into it, like how do you maximize it? That's where mastery comes in. And you guys are big fans of the burr strategy. I've done a lot of burring. And I figure when you can do a burr and then you can also do uh, some furnish rentals in that burr, it's just like, man, you just threw some gasoline on the fire. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I find it interesting. And I'm just curious, like, why are you going that strategy? Is it because the cash flow is harder to find now? But I don't want to assume that that's what it is. Just curious why, why the change from what you were doing to this now, the short term. Oh, with the short-term rentals? Like we're still, we're still easily getting the 1% rule and the different uh, properties that I'm investing in because we also buy off-market. We buy deeply discounted properties and then we can um, renovate them very, really, very really, reasonably. Sorry, Corey, really quickly, for those listeners that don't know what the 1% rule is, can you mind sharing that with our, with our listeners? Yeah, sorry. And that's, that's my pet peeve too. When people are talking industry lingo and you don't know what that means, right? Or acronyms and stuff. So we'll try not to do that. But so 1% is when you have a property, let's say if you buy a $400,000 property, uh, the 1% rule, which is ideal, is if you can get 1% of the value of the property, so $4,000 coming in as your uh, rents every single month. So and that used to be easier to do 10, 15, even five years ago, right? But now in this market, you've really got to work hard and make sure your game is on point to make sure that you can hit the 1% rule. So if people's rents aren't hitting those numbers, then, well, what if I had a duplex and I turned one of those units into an Airbnb unit? All of a sudden you went from getting maybe $1,500 a month to, I've heard some crazy stories of people that are like more than getting more than three times their rent. You know, they're bringing in now instead of $1,500, they're bringing in 4,000, 5,000, sometimes even $6,000 a month. It's crazy. So yeah, I think that's why people do the strategy. It's one of the strategies that you might as well ride it while you can. There's always going to be changes with Airbnb and certain cities are getting bylaws and regulations in. So furniture, biggest input costs and you just got to have more daily management, but you can also outsource that too, which is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I find it really interesting. I'm starting to go that route as well. Like I'm thinking my Hamilton triplex instead of putting regular tenants when it's done, we started to Airbnb it just to test it out as we're waiting for permits and stuff. And it's, it's working out pretty well. So question about that, because you've been doing that for, I guess, a little bit. What do you do to get around that $30,000 threshold where you start paying HST above that? I think it's one of those things, if, if somebody's going to go big in business, you just have to realize that at a certain point, there's going to be different tax implications that get involved. And I'm not an accountant, so I don't want to give too much advice in that regard. But I think the best thing is, you know, make sure you have a great accountant on your team. And everybody needs to build up their power team and definitely accountants and lawyers and bookkeepers are a key part of my So make sure that you're, uh, that you guys are doing that as well. Right. So, yeah. but for somebody that wants to do millions of dollars in short-term rental at some point, there's, there's going to be taxes uh, and right. HST that can get involved. Right. So. Absolutely. So, okay. So the other question then, just cause I know that banks don't really like Airbnb rentals. Are you, and you mentioned we a couple of times, who's we, are you doing a JV? Is it your wife? Or are you doing joint ventures with people or how are you financing all this? Yeah. Great question. So um, some of the properties in the beginning were just me and then, uh, they were me and my wife and then it's like me and business partners, me and joint venture partners. Yeah. So we have a, we've evolved over time from trying to be that, like, you know, I need to do this all myself and I don't want to let anybody else in on these deals to the point where, you know, we've got like 16 or 17 mortgages and 
at some point the bank, no matter how good you are at playing the game, the bank's going to say no. So that's when you need to start bringing in different partners on these types of deals. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's any way to scale. Like if you have that mentality that, you know, I'm going to do this all on my own or not even from a financing standpoint, right? Even just managing the whole project and, and doing all the things that are involved. Yes. There's things you can do that can optimize it that, you know, we always think we can do it better than anybody else, but sometimes we have to let that go to, to give to somebody else to take care of, to, to grow. Cause like even just listening to, to what you're managing and now converting like a church. So today is Sunday. So it's a perfect day to talk about how you're converting a church. So how, how did it even come about? Like, cause I don't think I've ever talked to or met anyone that just walked in a neighborhood and said, we're going to convert to church. I've seen single family homes and duplexes and triplexes, but walk us through how you stumbled on. on sure. That. So I was actually at a training event because much like you guys, I'm all, I'm, I'm huge into always advancing my knowledge and, and growth when it comes to personal development or real estate or investing. So I was at an event and I get a phone call from a, a realtor that I've, I've got a, like a six year relationship with. And we were actually looking to do some bigger deals. Like we were putting in offers on apartment buildings. So I get this phone call and he's like, look, deal just came across my plate. And this is kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. To me, it's a no brainer. You know, we were looking to do some business together anyways. And there's a church that hasn't even hit the, uh, the MLS. It's not going to hit the MLS. They want to just do a private deal. They don't want this to be like exposed to everybody and have all kinds of showings and that sort of thing. They do want like a private, you know, sort of a purchase. And yeah, we, you know, once we looked at the numbers, I just said it, it makes, it makes total sense. Even if we couldn't convert it into apartments at the time, we knew the value was getting the zoning changed and changing that from, it was actually zoned as a duplex, but getting the zoning changed from a residential or a duplex status to multifamily status was huge. And then people could do, you know, either what we were going to do or they could use it for community space or whatever it might be. Right. So. Hey, right. Club nation. Just wanted to stop the podcast really quickly to introduce you to this week's sponsor, Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan and his team have been a longtime supporter of the right club, and now the Right Club Podcast. Dylan and his team have been personally helping me find a property in the Hamilton area, and I know for a fact he's helped many Right Club Nation members find their investment property. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much, Alfonso. Proud supporter and sponsor of not just the Right Club and Right Club Podcast, also of Jag Properties and everything you guys all do in your end. So thank you so much for having me on here. Myself, I'm an investor and an agent. I have a team of five that work with Keller Williams, all investors, and we service the Hamilton, Halton, and Niagara region, both for residential and investment-based properties. Just want to leave the podcast with a quick tip for the month. Tip of the month will be winter months bring opportunity to negotiate better prices and extremely favorable terms. If you want the best negotiator in your corner for investment properties or residential real estate, give us a call at 905-592-4220. You can check us out on all the Right Club events Email us at info at elevationrealty.ca. Check us out online at elevationrealty.ca. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Back to you, Alfonso. All right. And like Dylan said, if you haven't met him or anybody on his team, definitely check out the next Right Club event. They're there every event. Thank you so much for your support, Dylan. Now, back to the podcast. So that's really interesting. How do you get, take some, something that's zoned as a duplex and change that. Can you walk us through like what that process looks like sure. and how long it takes and the costs associated with that? Sure, happy to. So it's going to be different in every single city, but there are going to be some uh, golden threads, I guess. I always tell people to follow the golden thread when it comes to any type of advice, when it's investing or health or what it might be, right? 
you'll hear enough of the the common things that keep percolating up, and that's your that's your golden thread that you can draw your line on. There needs it goes through a city uh, a city approval process. So we I always recommend have a pre consult meeting. So you can go in and have a pre consultation meeting with the city. They typically charge you for that. You can have like a really casual over the counter conversation with the city for free. I wouldn't start cutting checks and making decisions based on that or even making a purchase decision based on the over the counter kind of a conversation. But I think our pre-consult was like 300 or $350. And that's when they bring everybody in for an hour that's going to be involved in the actual decision making process anyways. You know, you got your city planners and uh, people from engineering and I can't remember if they brought somebody in from the fire department or not to that one. But so you basically get a really good feeling if the city's going to support your project or if you're just totally out to lunch for like, oh yeah, we want to turn this church into a restaurant. They would have been like, hey, we appreciate you bringing us all in today, but a restaurant in that area is just not going to work. Like it's just, no. <laughs> so it's got to also fit into the city plan. So when we pulled up the city plan, it was um, some townhouses or some semis, the church, and then the three stock ups as you went down the street the other way. So by them just extending the, uh, the different zoning to the, that the other three-story walk-up apartments had, you know, we also knew that we had a good case there. So they seemed favorable at the pre-consultation meeting, and there didn't see, seem to be any red flags that would stop us as long as we went through all the right processes, right? So we hired a planner, because we're not great with like writing up 30-page documents of like, here's the supporting information of, you know, why this all would work from a, from a planner's perspective. So we engaged a planner. And then there was a whole bunch of studies. There was about eight or 12 things that we had to check off the list before we had our final variance meeting at the city. And one of them was like a traffic study. So literally you got to, you know, we hired somebody out of Kitchener that came down and put those, uh, if you ever see those like air tubes on the road, they're actually counting the number of cars that go by and the frequency of the traffic. And, and they have the, the data to write the report from. We had to get engineering reports. We had to have a conceptual plan. We had to do a community engagement process where we literally went and knocked on the doors of everybody within, I believe it was 75 meters, just to make sure that we were answering their questions, letting them know our intentions were with the church. And it was crazy. Like the rumors spread super fast. Like literally the last service happened. And then since there was nothing in the newspaper or nobody knocking on the doors telling them what what was going to happen, people literally thought it was going to be turned into like a homeless shelter, a flop house, like we had to go knocking on the doors and going, no, like this is our plans. We want to do affordable housing, but you know, affordable housing doesn't mean welfare. Affordable housing means, you know, we just agreed to give people, you know, 80% of the rent as, as their cost for rent. And, you know, that would be for people that might be seniors or on a pension or some of the units are going to need to be accessible, like wheelchair accessible. So um, it was good that we actually did all those things because then when we had our city hall uh, variance day, like nobody, it, it, Literally, it got applauses, and it was a packed house. I actually knew some of the people that were in, involved in the decision on City Hall, and it was very nice to hear them speak highly of the project. So, yeah, that, that's kind of the process, right? Every Whether you're going, let's say if you want to change something from a duplex to a triplex, there's a process for that. And for us, there was a process to go through. We, were, we understood the process. There was a lot of three to $5,000 checks we had to write, but that's, that's just what we did. And right there, as soon as that got approved and it got rewritten, the value of the property doubled or tripled, which was, which was pretty cool. Yeah, so. that, honestly, that's so incredible that there's not a blueprint, right? There's not a course you can take on you know, how to convert a church or you, you, you get the obstacles, right? You, you're encountered with those obstacles and find ways around them and, and you work you know, around. The, I love that community engagement part because that's what's really going to drive that. It's not just you banging on, on City Hall's door. It's working within the community and improving the area. 
And if you have a good plan to do that, like that's you're and getting people on board, it just it teeters it more into your direction. So what's like the, the biggest challenge? I know you've, you mentioned a few, but what was like the hardest, the hardest part that you're like, Oh man, like, wow. Wow. Like it was kind of maybe getting to the point of maybe you're questioning why, why you did this in the first place. Yeah. Great question. So I think with anything in life, especially with this project, one of the biggest challenges was just the uncertainty, right? Like going to bed every day, going like, sometimes you got to question yourself, right? Did I make the right decision? Did we hire the right X, Y, Z person? You know, could we have saved some money on this piece of it? Are we waiting too long? And we just have to always go back to like our original intention. What was our original understanding? What's our, we got to be confident in the original path that we took. And like you said, right, there is no set in stone, like follow these five steps and you'll be successful. It's kind of a flow chart. And as you go down the flow chart, oh, we got to a no. So now it's a different, you go down a different leg of the flow chart and things can change. And you just have to be comfortable and you have to be ready for that, that this is a journey. Real estate is definitely a journey that we're all going down. And as long as you're committed to the outcome, like I am super committed to no matter what happens, right? We just had a baby through C-section three weeks ago. And, you know, that definitely slowed me down a little bit. But it's like I'm still committed to real estate. I'm still committed to all my projects and all my clients, all my students that I work with that, hey, this isn't stopping me, right? The challenge is it's not, it's not what the challenge might be and it's not the walls that get put up. It's how much energy and focus you have to break through those walls to get on the other side, right? The walls get put up to, to keep out the people that aren't serious, as you guys know, right? When you have really determined people like us that have that bigger why, you know, why am I doing this long term? Why am I, why am I struggling or why am I working through the challenges? I don't know about you guys. It's because I want to live my, my, my best life. I want to be able to give back and leave a legacy for my kids, be able to do cool stuff while we're, while we're still alive. I don't want to wait till I'm 65 to go travel and, and do really cool things, right? So, you know, literally like last night, I, we just set up a tent in the backyard and we camped. Like in Canada, it's September. It's getting colder out there. Um, but always doing the cool things with my boys and my, and my wife and my kids. So Yeah, that's what it's all about. This is really cool, but I, I do have some more questions about this church thing because it's just actually fascinating. And I never knew that those strip things <laughs> were for traffic um, yeah. and to, just to like measure. But so how long did that process take from the start, from the time that you, I don't know, I guess were, were approached to, to look at this church from the time that you finished all of the city pieces? And I'm assuming you're still working on it right now, but like, what does that time look like first? Sure. So we, uh, we knew our timelines. We also knew that city council, there was going to be a lot of turnover on the city council. So we wanted to have our public meeting before all that turnover happened. I believe we had, even before we actually officially closed on the property, we were already doing some of the work, right? Like the church allowed it to give us access um, for all these planners and uh, traffic studies and engineers and stuff before we closed. So that was, that was definitely helpful because we went firm on the project in July. We didn't close until August. And then our city council meeting was like September 23rd. I, I still have the date in my head. And so the process typically, I mean, we pushed really hard. We got this all done in like six to eight weeks. But a lot of people, part they didn't, they actually didn't think we could get it all done on time. They're like, good luck getting this all done during the summer when a lot of these companies are taking vacation time and stuff. We're like, challenge accepted. We want to get this in through city council that had more experience, right? We just didn't want to leave this at the hands of um, some newer council members nothing wrong with that but if they're deferred to the game we just didn't want um to have that as one of the wild cards so we wanted to get this in when that council was still in place so but some of these processes can, can take a very long time right if you're going for zoning changes and all these other things i mean it can take months and months and months 
I mean, if, if you break, you know, if you do some of the things you're not supposed to, right, I'm sure you guys have heard stories of people that do renovations without permits. Your, your permit doesn't get to the top of the pile. Your permit gets put to the bottom of the pile, right? So you got to, my recommendation is always follow the rules. Always make sure that you're jumping through the proper hoops. And if in doubt, just, just ask for some help through the city, right? Don't be, don't be so humble that you are not humble that you can't go ask for help. It's, it's very important. Absolutely. Or hire somebody that use that does it for other investors. Like I hired somebody to take the triplex that we purchased, which was, a single family home, but they had to legally put these three units in. So now we're working through the city to make it legal. Yes. So do you mind sharing the financials of the church? Like I actually have no idea what that even looks like. Like how much would you buy it for? How much are you going to be putting into it? What are you expecting the ARV to be? What and you mentioned 80% of the rent. So you're going to make it a little bit cheaper. Yes. Talk through that stuff if you don't mind. Sure. And I'll just talk really high level because like we literally have a, a big spreadsheet with all the numbers in it. And it's, uh, I think it might be challenging for readers to listen along, but in keeping it context, keep in context when we mention the purchase price, you really have to almost look at it as, as like land value because when you take on a project like this, so much of the investment is going to be into the renovations and the construction. Um, for a while, we weren't sure if if it made sense to even keep the existing shell of the church and work with it because it was all cylinder block. So the church is made of cylinder block and cylinder block is actually really easy to recycle. Um, the uh, recycling companies will, and the dumps will actually take cylinder block for free. They won't charge you for the weight on it because they can grind it up into gravel. So we've got quotes to even demolish the church at one point cause we weren't sure. And I just didn't want to go to sleep having said like I demolished the church. Um, but you know, this huge church, was only going to be like 40 or 50 grand to demolish, right? So we're like, this thing is like 10 times bigger than most houses, but it's only going to cost two or three times more than demolishing a house. That's because of the free weight. Um, so by the time we paid for all the studies and surveys and actually got this thing to the starting line to change the zoning, we were about 200K into it. And when you figure that out per square footage, that's, that's a very, very good cost. On the other hand, if we would have overpaid for that property and you know paid three, four, five hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars for the property, the renovation and construction costs just would not have made any sense. You know, as it is right now for us to get this project to the finish line, we're already going to be using some uh, grants and CMHC affordable mortgage programs out there where you get a 50 year mortgage at a very low interest rate with very favorable terms and a, a very nice loan to value just by doing some of these projects. Right. So when we can reduce our rents by 20%, First of all, the market value rent that they base that off of, it's a very good rent that we have to work off of. And rents have been going up in Sarnia, which is helpful. And then when you throw into it a 50-year AM at something like 1.8 to 2% interest rate, it makes sense, right? But now you're, you're playing with CMHC rules. You have to follow their guidelines. And we have to keep this project affordable for like 20 years. So we really have to make sure that we're constructing this building properly and making sure we're investing in the mechanicals and the insulation. So that 20 years from now, we're still going to be happy with it. So it's uh, the construction costs are so expensive these days that that's why a lot of people aren't building 24 and 32 unit buildings because this, the, the numbers really start to scale once you get to like 50 or 100 units and like these cement high rise type buildings. That's when you can actually make the numbers work. So don't be fooled, everybody. We're actually getting some help from some, you know, agencies like CMHC to make sure that this happens, right? So that makes sense now why you're, you have to do rents that are more affordable because of the grants. Yeah, there's, there's a program involved. There's a great mortgage that we're going after. And originally, we we're going after some seed funding and some other things, too. The, the city had about a million dollars worth of grant money that we we're pursuing as well. And 
we looked at it. We had to actually be partnered up with a local uh, charity and there just wasn't a lot of time to build that relationship and, and have that alliance. So we had to pass up on that grant money and then we kind of pivoted and went for the uh, CMHC grant money. So, but our, our construction costs, because we're keeping the walls up and there is an addition. So anything that we're doing in the addition is about $175 a square foot. Anything that we're doing within the church, because the foundation and the walls and the roof are already there, it's going to be about $140 a spot. And we're not going like super high end. We're just going, it's not super entry level, but we're also not doing high end. Like this is going to be built to last kind of like a student dorm. It's going to be built like a, to go through a war. And how many units did you say? Uh, we got approved for 32 and our, our plan, we're, we're working with our final plan right now. It's going to be anywhere between 29 and 32 units. Okay. So it's still in progress. So you don't know your final results, the ARV quite yet. We're pretty, we're pretty close. I think we're just leaning towards going with 29 units because I think trying to get those three extra units, it's just going to Frankenstein a little bit too much and get it too cute. So, yeah. So when you're designing like this, the, the building, are you, are you working with obviously engineers, right? To, 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 you mentioned in addition as well too. So like how do you go from this open church area to uh, like 29 units? So are, are you part of the design process? Who's designing it? How are you laying it out? Like, who are the people involved in that? Yeah, we engaged a great company out of Hamilton, and they got us all the conceptual drawings and the, the initial floor, floor plans. We're going to use those concept drawings now for the for the teams that were that are actually going to run this thing to the starting line. So I, I like our initial plan. The good thing about the church, guys, it was very boxy. It was very rectangular, built more like a school. It doesn't have a really steep pitch roof. It's actually got a flat roof. For the majority of it so it lent really well to a conversion like this like literally when we my business partner took a napkin and he just started like mapping out what five and six hundred square foot one bedroom apartments look like and it was just like jenga or lego they just fit in the boxes really nicely so even the addition like the addition is just three apartments three apartments three apartments for a total of nine and it works really well the one the one big challenge is we do have to raise the roof so we're about four feet short from having uh you know churches typically have a lot of ceiling height in the upper upper level but it's just not high enough to do two full stories. So we're going to have to either raise the roof or blow the roof off and put a new roof on and build up four feet. Wow. It's so interesting. It's, it's just like, I, I don't think I actually have talked to somebody that's been converting a church. Like I've talked to people that want to convert churches. So guys, if you haven't converted a church and you want to, Corey is your guy for that. But it's, um, it is super interesting. And like, where do you find the information for the grants and all of that stuff? It's available online, and, and fortunately, I, in my network, I just I'm fairly close with some other people that have done some things like this too. And it's it, real estate's a great network, right? Whenever uh, we're all kindred kindred souls, I say that if somebody's doing this for the right reasons, and you reach out to them, like I gladly help people every single week. I mean, yesterday was supposed to be one of my days off, and I literally spent probably three four hours on the phone just helping people get through deals and different things like that. So just reach out, or you know, be on some of these Facebook groups, or go to some of these meetup groups like the Right Club. You will, you know, if your intention is to get help in a certain category, you'll just be guided and led to the right people. But you can't be that person in the corner with your mouth closed, not saying hi to anybody, right? Like, I mean, you have to let it be known what you need help with and don't be afraid to ask. And you'll learn through the process too, Sarah, you're going through a conversion right now. So converting a a duplex to a triplex, a lot of the same principles do apply. There's a process to go through. This is just on a much bigger scale. So there's a zoning change that's going to be involved. And then there's going to be compliance that's going to need to happen at the city level and the, the permits and the building code and everything else needs to fall in place as well. 
Yeah, that, that's so cool, Corey. And I was making some notes when we were talking through the conversation here, and, and you had said, you know, early in your career, you had started and worked and just called people that had done it before, right? That you were working with them, trying to gain knowledge from them. And now it's kind of almost full circle now where you're also helping people and coaching them to get past those obstacles that you've done. So, you know, talk a little bit about yes. maybe some successes you've had with some of your students that you work with. Because I know, you know, when we talk and, and Corey is a person that practice what he preaches, he's He's at the meetup groups. He's at the right club events. I've started seeing you in rooms, I feels like maybe five and six and seven years ago where anybody, and that's when I first started, you know, coming out to, to getting out of my shell and going into those real estate rooms, right? And so, yeah, yes. so for those people starting off, those students that you've had, what are maybe some successes or some hurdles that they've overcome that you've helped them get through? Sure. So people typically come to me when they're either trying to get into their first deal or they've sort of done like three to, I don't know, seven deals and they're either getting challenged by lead flow or mortgage approvals or access to capital. And those are typically the roadblocks, right? They're like, they've tried to do it on their own as long as they can and now they can't. So, and my, my main mission in life is to make sure that people don't need to struggle if they're struggling. You know, I want to make sure that people, that I can support and encourage other people to do some of the similar things that I've done as well. So you know, some of our success stories are people that literally, I, I had a, a set of students, they're going to University of Western Ontario, and they literally used their student line of credit. They're like, well, you know, univer- um, tuition's already paid for this year because I've been working a summer job, but I'm going to use my student line of credit to invest in mentorship so that I can learn how to do real estate. Because I know that this is actually going to be probably more valuable than my university education. Because if I can learn how to do a deal when I'm 22, you know, imagine how that's going to change. You know, Corey didn't do a deal until he was 30 and look, look what he's been able to do, right? So they, if I can get this going like eight years sooner than Corey, then they just know they're on a better path. Or we're seeing somebody that was struggling in a whole bunch of, you know, products that weren't or um, investments that, you know, when we actually run the numbers on something, uh, one of my students was making 3% cash on cash return on the real estate. And I was like, man, you know, let me show you, even if you just bought like a, a rundown duplex in like a value type city where you can still get decent cash flow and get close to that 1% rule. You know, now I don't even do a deal. I'm sure you guys don't either, unless you're going to make over 20% cash on cash return per year. I mean, there's, you can't get wealthy unless you're making over 15% a year on your money um, or you get started really early and make at least 10% on your money. So it's, it's so important. Right. And, you know, I guess those are the, the successes. Like people start to see the lights turn on. They start to be able to overcome the challenges, whatever that might be. If it's leads, if it's the money, if it's the, the mortgage approvals, whatever it might be, the right network. Yeah. And it's, I fondly remember meeting in the Western Ontario rooms with you there, Alfonso. Like it wasn't nearly as cool as it is now to go to real estate meetups. People be like, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? Okay. You have fun with that. I'm going to go to the pub or something like that. Right. Whereas we were actually trying to make things happen. And look where they are now and look where you are now. That's right. <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, it is great. And you are somebody that is teaching, but you're also doing. And I think that's really important is if you're a coach, coach on what you're currently doing, not what you did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we, we can definitely talk to you forever. And if uh, it, you're obviously a regular right club attendee. So if you guys have questions, come out to the club and, and ask Corey, and we'll have to have you back at some point as well. But um, the next part of this podcast is called Our Lightning Round. So we're going to ask you a series of four questions, and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sounds great, guys. I'm ready. I got my lightning strike proof hat on right now. (laughs) All right. So, Corey, question number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or a networking event? Best advice. 
sounds really simple, but don't stop networking. You know, there was a period of time where I thought like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm having kids and stuff like that. When I was having my first child, my second child, and I actually stopped doing as much networking. And then I just got to a point where I, I wanted to level up. And I said, no, it's, it's just important. It's going in the calendar, getting it there. So you got to keep networking. Awesome. That, I love that. You know, it's almost like a recharge sometimes, right? To, to go out there, talk to other people and to see what they're up to and to get some encouragement from, from others, right? So, all right. Question number two. What is your favorite real estate investing resource? My favorite real estate investing resource. I mean, I don't have like a tool per se, but I, I guess really relying on my network, right? Like sounds kind of silly, but even social media, like social media is so powerful. You don't have to like pick up the phone and make a hundred phone calls. Just be active on social media. Make sure you're actually active and you're using it. And then you can, you can really use that as a tool. Okay. Awesome. Question number three, Corey, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? I would say being resilient. You know, like this is, uh, this is not the kind of uh, strategy for somebody that is, wants to be just walk on eggshells and that sort of thing. I mean, you really have to be resilient and have a thick, thicker skin when it comes to this sort of thing. Like being okay with failure, like you, you're going to fall on your face and that's okay, but fail, fail fast, fail uh, quickly and fail when the stakes are low. You can't be, yeah, can't be scared to get some bruises on, on the, on the trail, right? You got to keep going. No. So, well, we're, we're recording this. It's a Sunday morning. Um, and you kind of mentioned that you kind of had a really cool night with, with the kids that you're camping out in the, in the yard last night, but on a typical Sunday morning, what are you up to? What are you doing? Yeah, typically on Sunday, I mean, it's, it's a free day, right? And uh, we try to treat almost every day like, like it's a weekend. And, you know, really to me, it's like just trying to enjoy every single day that you can. Like I'm, I'm always going to be working hard, even when I say I'm retired. Like I, I stopped working corporate 37, uh, at 37, so that was six, seven years ago. So morning is we typically wake up. I want to spend a lot of time with my kids and my family. I'm usually the one that's making the breakfast and the lunches and that sort of thing. Usually we do go to church and then we do something after church. And also on Sunday is typically a bit of a planning day. So I want to make sure my next week is all kind of laid out and set so that I don't have to wait till Monday morning and go, oh man, I don't have a plan. Like usually Sunday it goes, a lot of thought goes into the next week. Like what are my, my priority for the, for the next week and even the following week or the following month so that uh, I find people don't make enough time to plan. Like you got to make plan to plan is, is important. And if you don't do it, you're setting yourself up to fail. There you go. Plan to plan. Awesome. Love it. Corey, if our Right Club Nation, our listeners wanted to get a hold of you and reach out, where can they go? Yep, they can find me on Instagram just under my name. So Corey McKinnon, they can also find me on Facebook. And uh, I do have my own website. They can go to CoreyMcKinnon.com. I've got some blogs and some videos and stuff on there that they can, if they ever want to chat, they can always send in a request to chat or for a, for a call or something like that. But yeah, I'm looking to add to that. I'm also looking to do uh, more content on there too. So that's That's so awesome. I've made like a like a page of notes of all the amazing uh, tips and tricks and all the things that, you know, that you've done and been able to share with us today. But is there any last words of advice or anything that you'd like the right club nation to know? Well, it's, it's a balance, right? I know it's, it's important to be eager to get started, right? So one of the best things you can do is get started in real estate, but I also want to make sure that people are patient. You know, I find that patience is a virtue that is uh, sometimes being lost these days. So don't be so eager to get into your next deal or your first deal that you're, you're forgetting the fundamentals. So you got to make sure that it, it makes sense to buy that property because as soon as you buy it, it's your problem and you're going to have to you know, manage that thing for however many years you got it. And at some point you're going to want to sell this thing too, right? So make sure that you have the good, good fundamentals of knowledge down before you start buy, buy, buy. It's not all about being a gunslinger, right? Make sure that you, 
you're sure because these are big investments, right? So make sure you're uh, you're treating this like a marriage because you are going to be married to that property for sometimes 20 years or more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's that fine balance between that and an analysis paralysis as well. So if you need help, Corey is a great mentor, a great coach that can help you through that so that you don't get stay stuck, but you also don't buy the wrong thing that's going to make or break, or in this case, break your, your whole rest of your investing career. On that note, thank you, Corey, for being on the show. I mean, we really could talk to you forever. We'll have to have you back at some point, but uh, really appreciate all the insights and thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, guys. As always, I'm super flattered to be asked to, to, to be on the show and uh, this is what I love to do. So if I could be on a podcast every day, I definitely would do it, which is why I got to start my own podcast. So I'll be asking you guys for some <laughs> tips and have an awesome day. Awesome. Thanks again, Corey. Cheers, guys. All right. Awesome. That was so great. Corey. I mean, Corey's so nice. Like he's so humble. He does so much. He's got, I don't know, 60 plus units. I think he was just saying after we, we press stop that he's buying another 14. So he is just out there going and just making things happen, buying the right deals. It sounds like just doing due diligence and then taking action. And I mean, there's tons of stuff that we could talk to him about, like even just the Burr strategy, which is my favorite. He does tons of, um, we could have dug a lot more on so many things, but clearly we got to, we got to respect everyone's time and, uh, and we'll have to have Corey back at some point too. Absolutely. Yeah. Corey Mack just completely killing it out there and, and really, you know, going into uncharted waters, doing some really, really cool things. Yeah. Someone that is just really doing it. And that's what we, we love to see is that real people doing real shit and there's going to be some more news about that in the in the future as well too make sure you mark your calendars but uh but yeah awesome awesome podcast such a nice guy and i i made a whole page of notes and i really wanted to point out one one thing if the right club nation if you picked up on that it was plan to plan because if you're just kind of going out there and winging it and doing that kind of stuff it's going to be it's going to catch up to you eventually so if you plan to plan that is going to be, you know, a recipe for success. So we really hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like Sarah said, please rate us, review us, let us know what we can do better. If there's somebody really cool, maybe you're that really cool person and you want to be on that podcast, reach out, let's book it and, uh, and share your story. So thanks again, Sarah, for, uh, for hosting with me on the, the Right Club podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. You Right Club Nation, come grow with us. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.